Welcome to Edufuturists. The podcast that discusses the future of education and the impact of technology. I'm Dan Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ben Whitaker. And I'm Stephen Hope, and we are Edufuturists. So as you can tell, we now have a new member on the team, and we're really excited to have Stephen Hope join us in the uh, in the Edufuturist podcast. So uh, welcome, Stephen. Stephen works as the head of independent learning at Leeds City College, so it's uh, really great to have you on, buddy. Yeah, great to have you, Stephen. My pleasure. So you can contact us on Twitter at Edufuturists or on Facebook forward slash Edufuturists. Uh, also on the website, www.edufuturists.com. Check out the blogs, podcasts, everything there. If you want to contact us directly by email, edufuturists at gmail.com. On the website, we've got recent interviews with Ingvi Ormerson from Iceland, talking about EdTech in Iceland, and uh, Simone Gessler, talking leadership in Canada. Yeah, there's lots of stuff on there. We're in the process at the minute of putting lots of blogs out, as well as the podcast. So check out all the blogs. Myself and Ben and, and now Stephen are going to be updating that on a weekly basis. Uh, there's a podcast, actually, just went out uh, this week about the podcast, about how we put that together, the equipment A podcast went out about the podcast? A podcast. A podcast? <laughs> Did I say a podcast? Yeah. Yeah. about a podcast yeah. a blog about a podcast <laughs> and, and in case you miss everything don't forget to sign up to the newsletter it's on the homepage of the website the first ever computer programmer was a woman yeah did you know that despite currently being a male dominated field Ada Lovelace a gifted mathematician and computer programmer from London is credited with being the first person to develop what we now know as computer concepts pretty cool fact there it is pretty cool, and it's quite nice considering who our guest going to be today. So, yeah, it's quite cool. Well, what about this then? So, thinking about the idea of a computer bug, have you ever thought about where the word, the phrase computer bug came from? No. No, you didn't. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you anyway. So, in 1943, programmer Grace Hopper was working on the uh, Mark 1 electromechanical computer machine where she discovered that a moth was stuck in a relay, hindering the performance of the machine. So the first computer bug was actually a real-life bug. It was a moth. That's a cool fact. I'm going to be able to sleep better at night now, unless there's a bug in my room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as long as your light's not on, it's all right. Right, I've got a fact for you. How many coding languages do we think there are? 173. I mean, I'm looking at the script and I can see it written down. Uh, but, uh... <laughs> well, the audience can't. The audience can't. <laughs> right, you've spoken it now. There are 698 different coding languages. That is, that's can anybody... that, that feels like an anticlimax now Dan's ruined it. <laughs> yeah, now he's ruined it. Right, it's like, right, so because of that, Dan, you've, it's like the, the Christmas quiz. We've written him in the reindeer. You now have to name the 698 computer languages <laughs> and coding languages. I could give you three. Go on, then. Give us three. <laughs> no, I can't do that. Don't do put that. me on the spot like that. No way. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> So let's move over to our interview. We are interviewing Kat Lehman. Kat is a trained primary school teacher turned independent consultant of computer science. Kat's passion is to share her knowledge and enjoyment of computer science and coding as well as expertise around Raspberry Pi. She's worked as a facilitator for Raspberry Pi Foundation, offering free CPD at the PIC Academy, as well as working for the National STEM Centre in New York and writing resources and articles. So as part of her work for Maple Bear, she spent time in Brazil training teachers in computational thinking, 
which she talks about in the uh, podcast today. And I've also delivered, she's also delivered training in both Argentina and the US. Kat works part time for Crossover Solutions, where she's led peer led training to teachers in many schools. She also works, for, she's also worked previously for PyTop, where her mission to it is to introduce teachers about using Raspberry Pi in the classroom, as well as to ensure that PyTop are creating top notch software that really can help teachers to get the most out of their computer science lessons. And you can follow her on Twitter. She tweets at Kat Lamin, that's C A T L A M I N. It's fantastic to have Kat on the podcast. Kat, you're very welcome. It was great to see you at the Google for Education stand at Bet down in London just a few weeks ago, and you were the kind of the, the accessibility expert going on down there. Could you give us a bit of a background of what's going on in terms of accessibility tools in educational technology at the moment? Yeah, so accessibility is big headline news at the moment, especially in the US. So lots of companies are highlighting what sort of accessibility tools they've got. Um, in terms of Google... It was really exciting to research and find out what they've got because they've got some really great built-in tools, especially in Chrome OS. I really enjoyed looking at things like the fact they've got dictation built in, select to speak, being able to magnify the screen with a few clicks was really helpful. Um, and something that I'm really interested in is dyslexia tools. Uh, so it was it's nice to know that in Chrome OS, you can switch to high contrast mode with one click. One of the things that I really like, though, is some of the third party apps that people are making, uh, third party extensions for Chrome OS, which means that, for example, a company called Read and Write are making a tool that allows you to use filters. So, for example, some students with dyslexia prefer to use a yellow filter or a red filter to text. And the read and write tool allows you to create a bar that sort of scrolls down the text to highlight in whatever color suits you. Um, because a lot of students with dyslexia, too much text on the page is really overwhelming. So having that ability to mask it off and use your fil- color filter with it is really valuable. Walking around better, there, there seems to be quite a few more companies yeah, who are who are providing these accessibility tools. Uh, do you think, is, is it something that schools are buying into more and more? I mean, when I was teaching, there was uh, there were a lot of students with dyslexia, ASD, um, praxia, various different learning difficulties. I mean, when you think of accessibility in its most basic form, you're thinking of students with limited vision, limited hearing, but actually there's so much more in the education sphere that can be really aided through technology. You just talked about text help and, and, and how we're moving to the cloud. How do you feel that accessibility is and those kind of features have enhanced the learner experience both in and outside of the classroom? Um, so in particular with students with ASD and dyslexia, uh, there are lots of triggers to working on pen and paper. So triggers are things that make them panic and would prevent them from work in the classroom. Mm. Being able to do things on a computer in the first instance is a real lifesaver for those students because the fact that they're instant access online and they're not overwhelmed by a blank piece of paper in front of them makes a huge difference. I mean, I know teachers in the past would literally fold a paper up into a small piece to make it less overwhelming, but now you've got a small bit of the screen. Um, Tools that are cloud-based make things easier again because they're so quick and easy to access. The fact that these tools are automatically saving work means that there's less frustration when things break, when things go wrong, when things are switched off. Um, 
so in that sense it's a, a huge ease maker for students with learning difficulties that's huge isn't it we we obviously have, have been big advocates for the text help stuff uh, and that just ability things like the spotlight tool to be able to uh, yeah be able to just break that section up and then the highlighting and it pulled out that highlight and that stuff it's, it's really smart isn't it it's good that, that, that companies are, are thinking like that to allow that inclusion and stuff mm. i mean it was amazing how many times i showed that particular tool to a teacher and they would just immediately want to get it on their school computers yeah because it was so useful and and things like that one has a built-in dictionary so you can click on a word highlight it and it will tell you what it means either in a picture form or in text form yeah it's 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 magical isn't it so in terms of using the tool such as read write and things like that do you think more schools should be using it as a tool rather than thinking about spending on invigilators that don't normally work with other students but and putting more pressure on students in the exam conditions Certainly things like, I mean, the fact that in Google Docs, you've got that text to, uh, speech to text tool makes, so, makes life so much easier. You don't need a scribe because students can literally talk to the computer and it will transcribe what they're saying. Um, and I do think it's, it's much more empowering if students can do it themselves using tools rather than rely on somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. No, no I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. We, I think we could go at accessibility for quite a long time. There's loads of stuff in there, in there. But we I know did. that one of your other um, elements is that you're uh, you, you're a bit of a, an expert on uh, <laughs> Raspberry Pi and computing and stuff like that. So we we've, we saw in the news in the UK in Cambridge last week there was um, Raspberry Pi opened their first ever retail store, physical retail store. Um, can you give us and our listeners a little bit of a basic premise about Raspberry Pi and what what they are? I'll try and do it some justice. Um, So Raspberry Pi was first created in 2012 by a bunch of Cambridge academics who realised that there was no easy way to get into computing. So if you think back to the early 80s, we had the BBC Micro and there were tools like the Spectrum and easy ways to get into coding. Whereas most computers seven, eight years ago were that weren't easy to access, they weren't easy to, weren't affordable, they weren't easy to play with, they weren't easy to tinker with. So the Raspberry Pi was released and it came in as a $35 computer. So you literally had a computer for sort of £25. Um, and the idea was just to make it an easy tinker tool so that you can get going. I mean, yes, you have, you have to plug it into a screen and a mouse and a keyboard and you need an SD card. So there are little costs that add up, but because it's easy to play with, because it's affordable, you can do what you want, you can smash at it, and if you break it, you can just replace it. Um, so do you think that it, is this like a, a great way to engage the learners in that, that stuff, like the coding stuff that you're talking about? Absolutely. I mean, so the really interesting thing about Raspberry Pi is the community that sprung up around it. So it was aimed at getting people interested in coding because there was this sort of shortage of people taking it at university level, what happened was that you ended up with this wonderful community of people ranging from teachers to professional developers to people who just wanted to have a bit of fun, who were yeah. all helping each other, supporting each other, sharing ideas, um, so that the people looking at using Raspberry Pi in education were sort of given this free advice from nowhere from all these people who wanted to help. It is amazing, isn't it, when it comes to stuff like tech? It, it feels like people do want to support other people through it, and this it sounds like a, another one of those things. In terms of the yeah. skill that, of the programming and the simple coding and whatever, why do you mm-hmm. think that's kind of good for young people to develop? Like, Because I know you did that from a young age <coughs> with, with children in primary and whatever. Why do you think it's important to develop that skill? 
there are sort of two sides to it. The first side is looking at the fact that computers are ubiquitous. I mean, in yeah, the yeah. 21st century, there are computers everywhere. So understanding how to use them and not just being consumers of technology is an essential skill in the sense that we we can't function unless we can do do something with the tech. I sort of have this idea, and I, I say it all the time, that we need to shift people from consumers of technology to users of technology and then eventually to creators um, and that sets them up with skills for life. But it's it's not just that, because one of the key skills we teach with coding is something called computational thinking at primary level. And that's this idea of logically solving a problem by breaking it down into parts, looking for familiar features from previous problems, throwing away information that isn't relevant to the problem, and then creating a recipe for success. And we call that computational thinking. And teaching children that skill, I guess, is, is a skill that's going to kind of impact their whole life, really, when it comes to problem solving, uh, not just in terms of coding and computers. How, how are you seeing children uh, get get the terms with learning kind of that problem solving skill in terms of their resilience and the, and the way they cope with it? Resilience is one of the key words relating to computational thinking, because the idea around it is that you have a go at a challenge and you solve it your own way. And one of the nice things about coding is there is no set answer. So you could have one problem where three children come up with completely different solutions, but they all work. One may be more elegant, but it doesn't matter because they've all had a go and they've all solved it. What what I tend to see when I'm teaching anything related to computational thinking or coding is this sort of element of certain students are excelling but it's not necessarily the students that would excel academically and then they all share with each other and they get excited and they start running around the room look what I did look what I did yeah. um so in fact today I was in a school where we were introducing micro bits to them and the buzz in the classroom was phenomenal as the children tried something new and they were literally running around look 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 I made a light come on I did this I made it say my name I managed to make it shake and do something um and it, it's so interesting seeing that that excitement and enthusiasm from students. It's amazing. It's always yeah. like an intrinsic motivation there just by getting to grips with it and, and seeing what it can do. Um, are you seeing the children that you work with, are they, do they advance far in it, especially at primary school, school level? In, in primary level, it's quite interesting. I think the key selling point for primary school students is the physical computing aspect. This is this idea of turning on LEDs, putting buttons, buzzers, motors things beyond just a screen in front of them and what I'm seeing is a lot of the students that are enjoying it are much more likely to go to things like raspberry jams which are volunteer-led weekend clubs or code clubs and coder dojos from there they're developing the passion they're entering things so there's um, an event in March called Pi Wars Um, (laughs) and it is it's literally it's been going for I think four or five years now and you build a robot to enter this enter a series of competitions and challenges um and there's a school's day so what we're seeing because i quite often help out that event is that on the first the first year that schools do it they don't particularly do well but they love the learning experience and want to improve on that so the next year they'll enter again they'll build a better robot they'll be more excited and more enthusiastic about it and it's it's just incredible seeing those sort of the, the development of everything um and, and Pi Wars is a particularly interesting event because there are teams now that come from all over the world to take part. And it wow. sort of hi- highlights the cross-curricular aspect of it. There's a team from Albuquerque who... Nice. Um, Do they bring yeah. Breaking Bad, like, methods? <laughs> Sadly not. But they... they <laughs> that would be brilliant, though. <laughs> 
but they do, they treat it as a sort of community event. So the students who build the robot do fundraising to first of all build the robot in itself, and then to travel to the UK and pay for nice. their hotel. And their college has agreed to pay half of it, but they have to fundraise for the rest. So they they're doing this amazing project that's not just building the robot, not just thinking about that side of it, but also the community side of it, publicizing it and fundraising for it. Okay, I'm absolutely sold on this, on 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 this, and and I've not met a coding background, nor even a computer science background. So I'm I'm an old bloke, not done coding before. Um, <laughs> need to get my head around this. Is, is there any other tools out there that you can recommend for us old people to get to grips with this stuff? There are a lot of resources out there. I think Code Club has some really great resources for getting started. Uh, Code Club is part of the Raspberry Pi Foundation, and they've created resources for nine. To, no, so seven to 13 year olds um, and they start off with Scratch move into HTML and then Python uh, some of the resources can be done on any computer, some of them are Raspberry Pi or Microbit based that's always a great place to get started I think going to events and getting hands on is always a great place to start so for adults there's something called Raspberry Jams which are as I mentioned before community led um, events that are scattered around the UK, people bring their projects um, Pi Wars are actually, uh, Pi Wars is a, a spectator event, so you can get tickets while I'm going along just to watch everyone's robots. Um, P- Raspberry Pi also do something called Future Learn courses. Uh, they're part of the new National Centre for Computing Education, which is a new government initiative. Um, so that's Raspberry Pi Foundation, STEM, STEM Centre and BCS. Uh, and they are actually in the process of launching a load of training um, both online and in person. So it's all sort of bringing together the different groups that used to do stuff on a charitable or voluntary basis, um, like CAS, for example, and making a central location for all of that. Um, so there's a lot of interesting training there. Um, Hello World magazine is a free magazine for teachers to support teaching of computer science. Again, okay. that's made by Raspberry Pi Foundation. There's, there's an awful lot of stuff out there that's going on. Um, I think everyone should get a micro bit and try and turn on the lights at least once. Less than £15, and they're great fun just to mess around with. I've just been playing with micro bit and Scratch 3 uh, because they've been the two things have been integrated together. So there's an add-on which allows you to literally program something that can be controlled by your micro bit. In terms of careers in the future, and we're preparing students for careers that don't exist now never mind in a couple of years why do you think that students that need to learn coding and problem solving so there's this big fear that robots are taking over the world and all of our jobs (laughs) um i mean in fairness there are certainly some manual labor jobs that are being replaced by computers but the same was true in the industrial revolution in the 18th century um what needs to happen or what is happening is that there are jobs that need more skilled people that are currently sitting vacant as it stands. There aren't enough developers. Um, it's literally a, an employee's market out there for yep. high-level developers because those new products, those things are evolving that need the highest-level skills. So it basically means with – if sorry, I'm losing the plot today. If um, students have those skills, then they are walking into a jobs market that they can be guaranteed a job. Um, I mean, if you look at industry, there's very, there are very few industries nowadays that don't involve some element of computing, from fashion to mechanics to medicine. 
They all yeah. use computers nowadays. Whenever someone says that or I hear that, I always think, oh, I wish I'd been born 20 years earlier, really. <laughs> <laughs> With this information right now that you've got. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and being brought up learning these skills. Um, we could go on and talk about this all night, I'm sure, but um, we're going to have to wrap it up there. Kat, thanks so much for joining us, and we'd love to have you back on in the future to maybe delve a bit more in depth into some of these issues. Thank you very much for having me. I hope the information was useful. Amazing to have Kat on the show. Uh, just There's so much there. I can't wait to, to edit that episode, take it away and listen to it a few times and see how I can uh, maybe bring some of that into my lessons. There's loads of stuff there in terms of coding. I'm really keen now to get on doing some stuff. I know that me and Stephen have been, been chatting about Grasshopper previously. Have you done any stuff on Grasshopper, Dan? I haven't. I've, you've mentioned it. Is this the app that teaches you coding? Yeah, it's really simple JavaScript stuff. So, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Obviously, we're really excited for the Summit Awards in... July. How excited are you, Stephen, to be part of the team ready for uh, July? I'm mega excited. I'm looking forward to the M62 drive. It's only uh, a short one, and I think one of the only few summits by teachers for teachers in the north of England. Tie that in with the award ceremony in the evening where we're going to celebrate some of our uh, excellent educators and network managers and stuff. Get booked on if you can. Uh, We'd really like you to do that um, early bird discount. Is, is in place that just £35 for a ticket and uh, we'd love you to uh, to come and join us on that day in Oswald Twistle Book on uh, so you can get in contact with us Twitter uh, at Edufuturists we're also on Facebook facebook.com forward slash Edufuturists uh, and yeah you can book onto that summit or find out anything more about us www.edufuturists.com or email us edufuturists at gmail.com it's been an absolute hoot welcome Stephen to the first podcast you've uh, You've got through it with us, managed to do it. Thanks for thanks for coming on next. We'll see you next week. Yeah, look forward to it. How have you found it, Stephen? Just before we go, because you, I think you normally listen to the podcast, don't you? So actually being a part of it, how have you found it? To see it, loved it, absolutely loved it. I thought it was a well-oiled machine. Uh, that's still in question, but we'll. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's a good, it's a well-oiled machine, but the problem is it's a copy maker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we've, we've put oil in the coffee maker. It's ruining it. <laughs> it's, just not, it's just not plugged in yet. No, I loved it. It's uh, great to be part of it, and looking forward to the future with any future. See you next week. See you next week. Bye bye. See you later. <laughs> Surely not. How, how, how do you read all of them? You'd have to be a wizard. I'm a wizard, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely on, that is definitely on the him saying, I'm a wizard, Harry. Has to be <laughs> the to you're a wizard, Harry. <laughs> I'm gonna have to, next time, I'm going to draw a little, a little thing on here, and I'm going to be Harry Potter. <laughs> right, let's do this. So let's... <laughs> so let's move over to... <laughs>